0: G'day, mate. Forty here. So uh, last night, Richard Spencer released a two-hour podcast from a, a phone call he does twice a week with his Substack subscribers, and uh, this is the the edited version. Actually, runs over two hours. He wanted to talk about the, the seeming downfall of, of Nick Fuentes, and. Uh, Richard does it by saying, oh, I don't, want to get, I don't want to get salacious. I don't want to delve into that which is salacious. And, and I don't want to delve into you know, that which is, is personal. I want to keep this on an elevated level. And so there's this very, there's this very common attitude that you know, great people talk about ideas and only you know, small people talk about people. But that's completely bizarre. Like, if you're interested in the America First movement, how would you not talk about Nick Fuentes? If you're interested in Nick Fuentes, how would you not talk about uh, this uh, compelling gossip about Nick Fuentes from his, his former followers? And if, how, how is it a good thing if you go through life having no interest or care about other people? Now, obviously, you can be overly concerned with gossip. So it's not going to do your career or your life much good if you are perceived as the main source of gossip, the, the person you know, most particularly eager to gossip. But gossip is just an inherent part of life, and it's, it's, it serves a valuable function. To, to me, gossip is a lot like sex. Like sex is dirty. sex is messy. Uh, there are two two girlfriends I had the first time we had sex, they started going on their period, and i 'm squeamish, so I, I just stopped right there, but it was messy and it was bloody, and there was like cleaning up afterwards and and so you have any kind of relationship with people it's there 's going to be a messy element to it right this idea that it 's better to have this sanitized life where you're just dwelling in, in the realm of ideas and uh, you're just keeping it, it elevated and you're staying away from, from the mess, then that's not a real life. Like Real life is messy and dirty when you, when you live life with people. And so, yeah, sex can be abused, right? You, you can go off the rails with sex. Sex can become damaging, and, and, and gossip can become damaging as well. But to to try to you know completely rise above uh, the carnal, to to rise above the, the impulse to, to gossip, is like trying to rise above the impulse to sex. I don't think people should, generally speaking, try to you know completely rise above the the impulse to to sex, right? Uh, sex plays a fundamental and necessary role in, in being human some people are better off having a life without sex you know, maybe one percent of the population perhaps and then some people who have addiction problems with regard to sex yeah they're probably better, better off sex addiction therapists counsel like a three-month complete cessation from any sexual activity including masturbation and uh, Yeah, those three-month breaks probably do certain people with these addictive tendencies good. But an idea of a life without sex or a life without gossip is just bizarre. So let me play a little bit here from Richard.
1: I've heard some of the more salacious things like searching for cum stains with a black light. Uh, Not exactly appetizing. Uh, (laughs) I'll try to avoid all the salacious stuff. I mean, I'll give you my perspective on this because I went through something similar and it really happened in
0: 2017. So this, this, uh, interests me in Richard that he's seeing what's happening to Nick Fuentes primarily through the lens of what happened to him. And so it's interesting. How does Richard understand what happened to him? Richard understands what happens to him as a great betrayal of of a great man. And so I find that analysis bizarre. I think if if this uh, latest problem marks uh, the downfall of Nick Fuentes, it will be a reflection of of his his failures as a human being and, and the failures of, of the movement that he created. Just like Richard Spencer's downfall was a reflection of, in large part, of his personal failures. Like we attract a certain kind of audience, and so. We we sow the seeds, but we we play a role, certainly a significant role, in how our audience relates to us and and, and treats us. And so Richard is seeing this primarily through the lens of, of what he perceives as the great betrayal of his own genius.
1: I'm, I'm being somewhat sympathetic to Montez here, believe it or not. I uh, I do dislike him um, as a person, but I also really dislike his you know. Putting personality aside, I I really dislike his overall vibe and message and strategy and so on. But I actually do have some sympathy for him. And I think it gets to really the heart of the problem with the alt-right. Or, you know, again.
0: So what is the heart of the problem with the alt-right? The heart of the problem with the alt-right is the poor quality of the people it attracts but both as leaders and as followers. It's that simple. It's the poor quality of the raw material that it's dealing with. But uh, Richard doesn't see it this way.
1: Call it the dissident right, call it America first, whatever. It's very similar people and a very similar problem. So around the alt-right, um, there, there is a fraternal quality to it. And people feel like they are oppressed to some degree. They don't want to show their face. They also want to do something about the problems of the world. That's understandable. And um, a kind of fraternity emerge.
0: So why do people not want to show their face? Guess what? There was a time prior to Hailgate when a lot of people were happy to be associated with the alt-right. The primary reason people stop wanting to show their face and be associated with the alt-right is the behavior of Richard Spencer primary reason people cease wanting to have any public association with the alt-right is that uh, Richard Spencer deliberately associated with Nazism. So during 2016, uh, Steve Bannon said that uh, Breitbart, the website Breitbart, is the voice of the alt-right. So the guy guiding Donald Trump's successful 2016 campaign, right, he was happy to be associated with the alt-right. He embraced the alt-right. So... Richard doesn't want to deal with that reality
1: and anything that is IRL as they say um, just intensifies this feeling of camaraderie and so you can see this with the alt-right of 2017 you can see this with America first or the Graefer war you can see this with Patriot Front and I'm using all of these alt-right groups as examples. Obviously, that's kind of, you know, more or less, I know more about those. But I think there's very similar things happening on the left. It's it's different. There might very well be more infighting among Antifa than we imagine. I don't know. Um, but it basically a kind of fraternal, you know, um, quality emerges. And there's also, to any group, there's a natural big man quality. So in 2017, I was the big man for a variety of reasons. Um, mainly because the, you know, well, predominantly, but you know, not entirely, but the the media decided to make me the kind of boogeyman of the Trump era, and so you know, it was like Richard Spencer, oh, he's dangerous, he's in the headlines, he's blah blah blah. Um, also, I was just a little bit older than these guys, you know, I was in my late thirties there. Um, it's, I, I think particularly with with so sort of do the same Whoops. thing and get
0: oh, I hit hit the wrong button, but uh, yeah, Richard see this sees this primarily in terms. Of, of his own big man quality i just found that that amusing that uh really is that is that what the alt-right is primarily about is the big man quality there's a big man quality to every group there's nothing distinctive uh, about the alt-right in, in that regard yeah and there's a fraternal quality to the alt-right yeah there's a fraternal quality to to every movement so this notion that there's something unique about the alt-right in that it has a fraternal quality and a big-man element is is really low-level analysis.
1: I'll try to avoid all the salaciousness. Okay. To it. And people feel like they are oppressed to some degree. They don't want to show their face. They-
0: everybody feels like they're oppressed, right? Men, women, blacks, gays, Jews, Christians. like Everybody can can make a case for, for feeling oppressed. Hey Luke, what lollies are you eating? I love to have my sugar-free honey lemon racolas. They're just delicious uh, cough drops. Let's look at the chat. It's fundamentally a Christian attitude that gossip is bad. Well, it originally comes from the Hebrew Bible. It comes from the book of Leviticus by Ikra, and it says, do not go around as a talebearer among your people. But this received very little attention in Judaism really until the 19th century so it was not elaborated into laws and the shulchan arukh the the four four volume compilation of Jewish law that was developed in the 15th century that is that has become to seen as, as the defining attribute of being an orthodox Jew you accept the binding nature of the shulchan arukh which means a table that's a uh, so law, halakha, is the way and the table that you kind of, the, the foundation for what you, you set your life on. Uh, it doesn't even mention gossip, right? So it was there, but received very little attention in, in the Jewish tradition until a rabbi who developed the name hafetz haim, he who desires peace, you know, let him, let him flee from gossip, what he did is he took all the agarata sections of the Jewish tradition, meaning stories and fables, and turned them into laws. So his fellow rabbis just laughed at this approach. But he took all all these moralistic fables and, and teachings about about gossip in, in the Jewish tradition and turned these stories into laws. And uh, he, he became famous as the Hafez Chaim. But prior to him, gossip had received pr- very little attention in the Jewish tradition. It was more kind of a, a, a general exhortation. But uh, religions will sometimes you know seize on something which is which is quite peripheral and then and then you know elevated in, in great importance to to separate the, the religious from everyone else. To enable people to feel righteous, like we all want to feel really important, we all want to feel like we're living from the inside. We all f- want to feel like we're we're connected to the very center of the universe, to to the the transcendent, to the to the source of all. And so you have to give people something something different than, say, pagan philosophy. All right. Uh, looking at the chat, when Richard stayed in his lane as a podcaster, he was great. But all his in real life activism has just been a grift. Yeah, a lot of people are gifted at uh, doing a live stream, but when it comes to organizing or running a real-life movement, they're, they're terrible. Who does Richard think betrayed him? I think the better question is, who does Richard not think betrayed him? Yeah, it's 100% the low-quality of human beings that's going to sink any movement. So the alt-right attracts low-status people who are terminally online, and they are terminally online because they are low-status for retreat to the internet. And uh, How to Survive Electronic Harassment says, I'm glad you're realizing how many operatives are on YouTube. The modern Manchurian candidate is not a soldier. It's a social media influencer. But you can't be influenced any direction that you don't want to go. The redeeming thing about the alt-right is that it is people wallowing in their despair or degeneration, but they at least identify that as a bad thing, and they are raging against it. Well there are ways that you can come to peace with, with reality, with your position in reality. And once you come to terms with reality, then you can start to improve. But as long as you're denying reality, as Richard still seems to be doing, there's, there's not much potential for turning things around.
1: So want to do something about the problems of the world. That's understandable. And um, a kind of fraternity.
0: So a lot of people who are really driven to do things about problems in the world, it's because it's a distraction from what is fundamentally at core a love addiction. Like, I don't feel loved. And so I'm going to go out there and I'm going to make these great social changes and then maybe I'll get the love that I need. And usually operating from that kind of basis uh, leads to really bad results like people are so desperate for that love that that they start doing bizarre things such as what you know that, that Richard did like Richard went you know on bizarre tangents just spiraled downhill and and gossip is dirty and gossip is messy and there was always a lot of gossip about Richard but the reason there was a lot of gossip about Richard is because he was behaving in ways that lead to gossip all right if you're sexually promiscuous Particularly if you're sexually promiscuous with, say, your followers' girlfriends or, or wives, if you're dabbling in drugs, if you're if you're flying the plane while you're intoxicated, which is essentially what Richard was doing. He was intoxicated. He was he was intoxicated at Charlottesville, and you've got thousands of people's of lives in your hands, and you're flying the plane drunk. Right? that 's a serious matter that people will gossip about, and for good reason, right we gossip for good reason, right you can certainly overdo it, but we need we need gossip right if we listen, we can learn what people find offensive, what people hate, what they find acceptable, what they find not acceptable so gossip teaches you how to be more effective in your interactions with others like you often learn far more from gossip than from say a an employee manual, right? So gossip often clues you in to what's most important, it, it clues you in to that which is not explicitly written up in, in you know a formal publication. And when when you wonder like why does somebody have have you know these recurring problems, uh, you may find more accurate information from the gossip than from say official sources of information.
1: And anything that is IRL, as they say, um, just intensifies this feeling of camaraderie. And so you can see this with the alt-right of 2017. You can see this with America First or the Groeper War. You can see this with Patriot Front. Um, And I'm I'm using all of these alt-right groups as examples. Obviously, that's kind of, you know, more or less, I know more about those. But I think there's very similar things happening on the left. It's, It's different. There might very well be more infighting among fancy father
0: we imagine i don't know um, so gossip undoubtedly has the power to destroy friendships to destroy lives to destroy marriages to destroy business partnerships it can sometimes lead people to kill other people to kill themselves just like sex has all that power too right fire has the potential to be incredibly dangerous but we don't want to outlaw f- fire you know, we we outlaw certain uses of fire so it, it all depends on how you use the gossip, how you use the sex, how you use the fire. But these are elemental parts of life. That to completely, you know, say, oh, they're just completely forbidden. That's not on. Is insane.
1: Uh, it basically, a kind of fraternal, you know, um, quality emerges. And there's also to any group, there's a natural big man quality. So in 2017, I was the big man for a variety of reasons. <laughs> Um, mainly because the, you know, well, predominantly, but, you know, not entirely. But the, the media decided to make me the kind of boogeyman of the Trump era. And so, you know, it was like Richard Spencer, oh, he's dangerous, he's in the headlines, he's blah, blah, blah. Um, also, I was just a little bit older than these guys. You know, I was in my late 30s there. Um, it's, I, I think.
0: Come on, Richard, you provoked the media attention. You thirsted for it, you sorted out, and you were very good for a while at interacting with it. So what's that old f- phrase, those who the gods destroy, they first make great. So when, when we achieve a little bit of success in our lives, most people can handle that without going insane, without getting intoxicated. But then some people get intoxicated by it like Richard did and like Nick Fuentes seems to have done, and, and then that destroys them. They, they can't handle the success. Right? Certain, you see that with, say, a Tony Romo who was an undrafted player, and he went on to be a very good NFL quarterback, but you could, you could kind of sense underneath he didn't feel like he was good enough. So when crunch time came, he often screwed up from you know holding for what may have been the winning field goal in the playoff game against Seattle to the final game of the season against the Washington Redskins in something like 2012 when he threw... Three, three interceptions in the first half at least and cost the Cowboys a game. So some people just have that internal sense that no matter how much external success they achieve, that they are you know, fundamentally worth, worthless. You know, so at each level of success you achieve, some people find they just can't go any higher, that they've, they've reached their limit. They, they become threatened by the level of success that they've achieved and they're unable to, to handle it in a sober fashion. That seems to have happened with, with Richard and Nick.
1: Particularly with, with America First, you can't really underestimate how young some of these kids are. I mean, I, I would not be surprised if any of them are 16, 17, maybe even younger. Um, but a kind of fraternal quality emerges, and there's not a lot of, there's no real organization. I mean, they're, it's not like someone's running a corporation where they have you know 100 people work on staff there's a kind of natural a, a, a natural hierarchy you could say emerges but one of the issues with the alt-right is you have this weird combination that i think is ultimately unworkable where people desperately want to stay anonymous with a few exceptions uh, obviously i'm an exception nick Fuentes is an exception etc but then they also want to be a pundit or leader or big man or what
0: this is no different than, than any other group in people want to move up in status and people want to be the big man and people want to be the thought leader and the pundit. There's nothing unusual about the alt-right in that regard. And the whole reason people wanted to stay anonymous is because Richard Spencer drove this, this whole movement into, into the trash heap of history. So looking at the chat, Nick Fuentes and Richard Spencer are like peasant people who win the lottery. They're not ready for money like that. Just like most low IQ lotto winners lose it all within five years. Richard is just higher vocabulary trash. That's the extent of his mystique. If I had more access to smarter friends, I'd never listen to him. Well, I think just understand everyone's got their, their niche. Like understand what people are about. Richard is sometimes an interesting, compelling live streamer. And if, if one seeks more from him than that, then you're going to be disappointed, right? He's going to be teaching these classes on Nietzsche, and they may well be interesting, but if you really want to know Nietzsche, there are 100 university professors out there who'd be far more qualified. Um, it's, you know,
1: just... Due to the, na- the, the nature of who is attracted to this, you get all of these types, that they're kind of waiting in the wings to, you know, move off you. So I do th-
0: the nature of who is attracted to this, as though Richard has no effect on who's attracted to what he's talking about. I earned my audience, right? I played a significant role in you being here right now, right? I have cultivated a certain connection with certain people. Right, you reflect on me and I reflect on you. It's not like there's just this inherent dissident right audience and, and Richard Spencer has absolutely nothing to do with, with playing a role in who's attracted and who's repelled to, to what he's doing, right? We all exert a force field, right? When, when Dennis Prager walks into a room, people tend to notice. When I walk into a room, like, people come up to me and tell me dirty jokes. Right. That's that's a reflection of me.
1: It was stabbed in the back to a degree. And um, I definitely felt this uh, post Charlottesville where all of these figures who I think were kind of calculating in their minds, you know, oh, well, you know, I'll play along. But I, I, I could surf on this wave. And but, you know, there'll be one day when I'll be Richard Spencer something like this. I think a lot of the Groipers wanted to be like this. And you can see that with them.
0: So, yeah, we we all tend to to see the world through through our own own perspective. So, for Richard, this is is all about his own personal experience and and his own level of of power and his own still visceral feeling of being betrayed by his followers. His followers weren't good enough for him. They let him down.
1: Uh, Various figures have branched off and kind of left Nick behind. I mean, not not that they've become more uh, prominent than Nick, quite to the contrary, but they just left him behind, you know, that uh,
0: O'Reilly figure. This is a really bad analysis. The reason that Nick Fuentes seems to be imploding is not because his followers have just left him behind. It's because uh, Nick apparently was not able to sustain friendships and was not able to sustain you know, strong working relationships with people who work for him, for people who are interns for him, for politicians that he would try to gather it seems like Nick Fuentes, from from the presentations of him on Kino Casino, is not someone who is able to sustain relationships. And when you're not able to sustain relationships because you're not fundamentally at ease with yourself, then that's going to put limits on your own personal ambitions and limits on your movement. Name?
1: Um, who's running for governor in Idaho as a Democrat or something? uh various examples of this they kind of start their own live stream uh the other one was um uh patrick casey who's just this extremely tedious guy um who wants to be kind of the second in command at all times and places and then wants to usurp everyone and so there's just this kind of natural dynamic where like
0: you got to know what people's genre is right uh, Patrick Casey, tedious guy. Yeah, probably not as entertaining and compelling a live streamer as Richard Spencer, but uh, probably far more effective than Richard Spencer at other things, right? The type of personality that you want, checking the planes, checking the engines before the plane takes off, probably not going to be a great stand-up comic or compelling live streamer, right? So I have a certain genre. I am not a university professor. I am not a deeply learned man. I'm someone who has a shallow level of learning across a lot of topics and has some diverse life experience in certain areas and has at times kind of a glib and facile ability with words and with being able to, to boil down certain uh, more, more difficult concepts into you know, reasonably easy to understand sentences.
1: The second you, the second they, they, they kind of recalculate, they will leave you. And so with me, it was post Charlottesville, and obviously this is, you know, my perspective on things. But look, I didn't organize Charlottesville. I actually did organize some Charlo- it's Charlottesville. It's not his set, fault, guys. that was a flash mob. And,
0: uh, so what's most compelling to me is that Richard doesn't resonate with the area of the Nicuentes meltdown that most resembles richard's meltdown is that these are both unstable personalities who made a lot of self-destructive choices right that that's the obvious parallel that that richard doesn't want to
1: delve into you know went off without a hitch no injuries or anything like that charlottesville was just the total culmination of the alt-right movement and yeah it 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 demonstrated some other real serious issues with the alt-right
0: Yeah, it demonstrated that it attracted some low-quality people, right? You have an influence over who comes into your movement, who comes to your events, and the the bad behavior of some of the people at Charlottesville and the whole situation, you know, building up to an armed confrontation with, with Antifa was obviously going to be a disastrous experience, and... Yeah, Richard says, I didn't organize it, but you were the keynote speaker. Right? You were still leading your troops into battle, and you led a lot of people into a great deal of suffering and, and destruction, and you played a significant role in precipitating a major crackdown on free speech online. So the, the major reason that we've had a dramatic reduction in free speech online since since uh, 2017, 2016, is uh, Richard Spencer and the choices he made with both Hailgate and his his behavior leading up to and after Charlottesville, right? The the free speech crackdown didn't come out of nowhere. It came in reaction, in part, to the bad behavior of Richard Spencer. They're
1: worth talking about, they're, they keep they're worth talking about because they keep reoccurring. And um, I I don't know. I mean, I, Nick has kind of lasted as their icon longer than i would
0: have imagined um and why is richard why has nick lasted longer than than richard imagined because nick for all his flaws does seem to be a a more stable personality (laughs) even though he's 20 years younger more than 20 years younger than richard he's shown himself to be a more stable uh, personality and more in reality than richard so that's why nick has lasted longer but but richard doesn't want to go there
1: he lasted through Trump, you know, through 2018 and the midterms. He lasted through Trump's failure of re-election. He lasted through Stop the Steel, He lasted through um, January 6th. Um, it, it just kept going on, and it kind of... I think Nick had this almost kind of like illusion of victory in some ways because um, to, to, to look back at this, I mean, during Stop the Steal...
0: So, so Richard, who believes that he helped elect Donald Trump in 2016... Richard, who believes that the alt-right was absolutely disp- indispensable for Trump winning in 2016, he's accusing R- Nick of having delusions of victory. Richard, who s- announced after Trump won that uh, the alt-right was the establishment now. Richard, who launched the, the cheer, hail Trump, hail our people, hail victory. And, and it's Richard, Richard saying that Nick has delusions of victory. I mean, Richard had delusions of victory. That's where Richard should be starting his analysis. Like, I I try to start my analysis with a sober reflection on how has my selfishness hurt the lives of the people around me. Like, I, I try to start my analysis with how my delusions you know, hurt myself and the lives of people around me. I try to start my analysis with, with understanding how I, I am the root of, of my own suffering that, that, that to, to whatever extent I've lived in a prison over the course of my adult life, that's been because of, of choices that I've made.
1: He was there at the very beginning of Stop This Team. And he was also getting just huge amounts of, you he was getting 10,000 people watching a live stream at a time on D live where he was
0: a You can do a live stream with five live viewers five quality live viewers, and you can have more of an effect uh, on society, on culture, and on politics than a live stream with 10,000 low IQ viewers. It's not just the sheer numbers of viewers that measures your impact, it's the quality of the people that you attract, right? So, So Richard often delved into a low IQ message to try to maximize the number of people who are attracted to his message. And in so doing, he attracted you know, a lot of bad-quality people. Uh, you can adjust your message so that you attract higher-quality people.
1: Yeah. And I think many people who didn't have his best interest at heart saw that and said, you know, I wouldn't have been at that. <laughs> um, these are conservatives, the people who are organizing stuff. Ali Akbar, Ali Alexander, Alex Jones, etc. Women for Trump. And they started to, to work with him. I don't know the extent to which they were working with him, but they were clearly working with him in, in some way. There's also indication that Milo is now b- behind.
0: So if you're interested in the alt light and the alt-right, how can you not be interested in, in the gossip surrounding Richard and Nick? The gossip surrounding Richard and Nick touches on these core issues that, that help you understand why the political movements that they spawned have been such a disaster. Uh, just you can go to work and you can try to get your primary source of information about work from your employee handbook. Or you can go to work and talk to other people, and what you hear from other people will be more useful to you in many cases in the employee handbook. So we need gossip to clarify and enforce rules that keep you know people working well together. It circulates crucial information about others. All right. Yeah, gossip can sully reputations. But it also offers you a a foothold into a group, and it offers a safety net for people who feel in danger of falling out. Like, there's this widespread tendency, particularly among intellectuals, to denigrate gossip as dirty and sloppy and messy and unreliable, right? And and it does have all those elements. But it's also sophisticated. It's some kind of multifunctional interaction which helps to police behaviors in a group and, and define group membership. So... It's a mutually protective ritual that we probably developed from early grooming behaviors. So uh, a lot of men think, "Oh, gossip, that's, that's just something for women, All right But you need gossip to t- to find out like who are the slackers, like who's not, who's not living up to their responsibilities, no, who's missing their obligations? Who is damaging the group? Like who is you know, sleeping with someone else's wife? So to participate effectively in life, yeah, there's a danger in gossiping too much, right? There, there are certainly times you want to minimize it or, or rise, rise above it, but there's just as much danger in gossiping too little. Like gossip is often the most valuable social currency that there is, Right You know, knowing that your boss is cheating on his wife, or that your sister-in-law has a drinking problem, you know, or a rival is benefiting from a secret trust fund, these are often important pieces of information, looking at a New York Times article right now from 2005. But we all know people who are not calibrated to the social world, like Nick Fuentes, there seems to be some and, and Nick and, and Richard both seem to not be fully calibrated to the social world around them. And it's through participating in gossip that we learn the stuff that we need to learn. Not participating in gossip is unhealthy and abnormal. Right? Gossip connects us to other people. Gossip can also destroy us. So, yeah, we want to be adept. Right? We want to know what kind of talk that we, we can share. If you pass along devious gossip, malicious gossip, untrue gossip, then you will get a terrible reputation. And so gossip in large, to a large degree, is self-regulating, right? We are all strongly incentivized to be adept and and judicious with with what gossip we pass on. Otherwise, we will pay a big price. So I I learned that, for example, when uh, Richard Spencer fell out with uh, Greg Conte. So I I heard some, some gossip about the falling out that uh, probably not fully accurate. That was probably not at all accurate. So some of the gossip was accurate, some of the gossip was not accurate. By delving into that messy uh, breakup of, of a friendship, uh, I, I delved into a dirty, messy world, and I didn't, didn't fully get it right, and I did feel kind of dirty for even talking about it. But it was it was, it was about a person, primarily Richard Spencer, whose personal life was so chaotic was so spinning out of control, who was engaging in such you know, destructive behavior, that, that it, it rose to the level where I felt like, I, I, if I'm going to talk about Richard Spencer, I need to to delve into the realm of gossip. And when you delve into the realm of gossip, yeah, you get dirty, and, and it gets messy, and, and it's not as sanitized as you would like, but sometimes it's essential for understanding what's really going on
1: with people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Nick Linton, et cetera. Not surprising, but I haven't seen hard evidence for it, but it seems to be happening. Um, and so they they see that organic power. You know, he has a ton of these highly motivated, edgy incel types on his live stream, and they wanted to get a piece of that, and it worked. I mean, Stop the steel just went totally out of control. It went up through January 6th. And
0: and John says Southern Euro men are comfortable with gossip. It's only angsty Northerners who have this hang-up. And I'm not opposed to trying to elevate. Right? I I don't want to be engaged in gossip interminably. Right? It, it's a spice, like a, add a, add a little you know salt to to my food and can make it more appetizing. But I don't want uh, salt to be the main course. So whenever you try to elevate, uh, you may come across as pompous and sanctimonious and like I, I, I get that. I, I believe in, in the case for, for elevation at times. I don't believe in elevating yourself beyond the human, right? beyond what we're capable of or beyond the situation. There are situations that call for the open sharing of gossip, and then there are other situations where you're better off leaving it behind. Uh, the chat says, Richard Spencer is just the eternal contrarian chilling for Emmanuel Macron and NATO to upset the dissident right. Gossip isn't always malicious, It also gives uh, good advice and uh, helps share reality beyond official statements. Absolutely.
1: Um, again, I thought there probably would have been some kind of you know issue like this immediately after January 6th, as there was after Charlottesville, but no, they kept going. They kind of kept it going. And... Um, i don't know i mean i think maybe what did it in was the fact that nick is has been kind of quasi denounced by these goofball republican types like paul gossner and um marjorie taylor
0: no if if this is the fall of nick fuentes what's doing nick in is his own character and his own inability to stay related and connected with other people. It's not because because Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gozenar condemned him. Right? That, that's bad analysis.
1: Et cetera. And that woman they tried to get who I, I think she did give a speech like the Zoom or something. And, um, so he had an event, AFPAC three or whatever it was. And, um, he invited these America first types, but more, of uh, but elected officials and they, you know, it was kind of like the ultimate culmination, but, but in a way, kind of pyrrhic victory. In the sense that, you know, they get a thousand people in the room, all of these Nick Fuentes fans, they're all edgy, they're all, you know, they all have the best optics, whatever. And, you know, when Marjorie Taylor Greene said something like, I wanted to go speak to an America First crowd and talk about America First policies, she is being honest. But what she wanted to do was take his audience. <laughs> so, anyway, they get pushback for appearing there. And then they have to kind of pretend that they don't know who he is or denounce him in some way or denounce the rhetoric or basically just kind of diss him. And so it gets to a point where like there's no that that benefit of Nick Fuentes, the, you know, the overall benefit is is lacking where Nick Fuentes is only a, you know, irony video game streamer and this kind of weird, weirdly charismatic personality.
0: Okay, that, that wasn't what led to the, the fall of, of Nick Fuentes. Uh, everybody chose to use everybody, right? Uh, th- that's, that's not unique to this situation, that's just the rule of life, right? You, you, know, you want certain things from other people, they want certain things from you, and if you're going to have any success in life, you have to learn essentially to trade with people, right? They want something from you, you want something from them. So this isn't you know, this isn't what led to the downfall of, of Nick Fuentes that that he had people who wanted to tap into his audience, right? Nick Fuentes developed a certain kind of audience by by being an entertaining character. He's not a deep thinker, right? It's insane that anyone would seek political wisdom. And I remember so many people would come into my chat and go, Yeah, you know, Nick Fuentes, he's the most influential pundit, he's such a you know, an amazing thinker. Uh, you know, he's, he's the leader that, that America needs, which is just insane. He's an entertaining and, yeah, weirdly charismatic uh, gamer and, and irony bro who, who's very good in those niches, but can't seem to be able to sustain relationships or have the uh, the internal stability to, to keep something good going.
1: That kind of isn't good enough. And so I think they want to do their own thing. You know, like I uh, I actually recently listened to this John Doyle character who's this almost – it's it's just so odd. He's like Nick Fuentes' brother or older brother. Like they they speak the same way. They have the same uh, highly repetitive, platitudinous way of talking about politics and also kind
0: of – Wait, you'll notice with, with talk radio and highly repetitive, platitudinous way of talking, that characterizes most of syndicated talk radio. syndicated talk radio is built on the top 40 formula you play the hits over and over and over and over again so that's what you get it's not just nick fuentes it's not just a live streamer phenomenon it's the dominant mode of syndicated talk radio it's based on the top 40 formula you give people what you want and you give it to them over and over and over and over again people like hearing what they they believe it's uh, considerably more challenging to to give people deeper and more complicated, more complex ideas that uh, may upset or, or challenge their own you know, received notions of... of...
1: sincerity, but uh, very fast talking, so a very similar type of Zoomer.
0: And, you know... So normally my alarm goes off at 6 a.m., but I was up at 4 a.m. this morning
1: that guy might see Nick as a benefit, but at some point he sees him as a liability. And he's still on YouTube. He has his own career. It just doesn't, like, creating this movement based on... Yeah,
0: Rick Ricardo's right. Uh, syndicated talk radio and, and a lot of punditry is based on catch lines. Uh, Sean Hannity, right? It's catch lines. It's proven patterns of speech that uh, make people feel happy and comfortable. Like the Constitution... You know, freedom, uh, the, the First Amendment, uh, you know, the, the free market, right? You 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 develop a certain pattern about certain familiar ideas that uh, people want to hear over and over and over again.
1: and based on people who want to be pundits, and based also on, on anonymity, is going to be a problem at some point. And it's, it's kind of why I...
0: And so that's the essence of what Richard thinks went wrong with the alt right that people want to be pundits and people want to be anonymous i mean that's really low low level analysis right people like the sound of their own voice people like attention people like to feel important that's true throughout society what what makes these what may make those tendencies particularly acute in in say the alt right is when you're dealing with people who are to a large degree, out of control. So we all have basic impulses, such as to feel important, to, to get laid, to get love. And if you're an integrated person with, with family and community and work and, and education, then you've learned to integrate your impulses. If you're not an integrated person, then these these basic impulses can get out of control and you know really hurt you and hurt others. So what's under underlying Richard's analysis is the low quality of the people he attracted and he's not grappling with to what extent was my own bad behavior responsible for attracting bad quality people right the type of person that I attract to my show reflects on me right whatever's going on with me is going to resonate with people I interact with and it's going to attract some people and repel others. We all exert this force field that, that's Dennis Prager. And so we play this huge role in the type of people who are attracted to what we're saying. Don't want
1: to play that game. I, I kind of see how it plays out. I don't think I even could play that game. But you, you
0: did play that game, Richard. Richard says, I can't play that game because he's now out of the game. He's been completely <laughs> expelled from from the movement. So... <laughs> So once you've been expelled and can no longer play a game, it's kind of disingenuous to say, oh, I can't play that game.
1: Regardless, I don't want to play that game. I want to just focus on intellectual matters and so on, because it just, it just leads...
0: If Richard wanted to focus on intellectual matters, he'd write books. Richard's never written a full, complete book. There was this uh, academic analysis of the alt-right, and with regard to Richard Spencer, it noted that his status as an alt-right intellectual was based on a more slender body of work than anybody else in the book. Right, Richard could you know, spend his time on producing you know, strong, unique intellectual content, but he chooses not to. Right? He has chosen not to. He has chosen to expend minimal effort into his writing and into his intellectual endeavors. Right? That, that's his choice. He's, he's instead chosen to go for what will give him a temporary hit uh, of attention. Right? We all choose uh, the life that we create. We may not choose it consciously. Right? It may well be against our own, own best interests, but uh, we, we usually play a pretty significant role in where we are in life.
1: Kind of stuff almost in, inevitably. And in fact, I'm surprised that we didn't get there quicker point us
0: do you guys have any thoughts on this okay so I'll play a little bit more here later in the stream you hear you hear Richard turning fairly profoundly against free speech so when free speech was to Richard's advantage he, he loved free speech but now that free speech is being consistently used against him in the last four years you'll hear him talk with people on this uh, phone call about how he's come to a more nuanced understanding of free speech. What he means by more nuanced understanding of free speech is that he's for, you know, far more restrictions.
1: ...of nonsense that was kind of self-generating. Remarkable.
2: Speaking on the kind of uh, the way that you, I think you called it the gamification of politics, I, I think it really underscores the necessity of, you know, especially with the kind of you know, the the metaverse kind of down the line coming soon or I I don't know much about it, but I know the basic idea, it just, to me, it seems like there just needs to be some kind of uh, some some sort of state action to prevent the living online and the just hyper extreme, what they call it, extreme.
0: So this guy wants state action to prevent people from living online. That seems insane to me. But to Richard, this is a really important point. I think it's insane to have state action to limit how much time people spend online. People aren't spending a lot of time online because there's just uh, you know, something unique about the online experience comp- compared to everything else. Look, the reason – let me restate that. People are spending inordinate amounts of time online Because that is what best meets their needs. It's because there's usually some emptiness in their real life. The problem is the emptiness in their real life, which is then leading them to find time online so intoxicating. So spending a lot of time online, uh, wasted time online, is a symptom. It's not the core of the problem. The core of the problem is that people aren't connected to other people. And so attacking the symptom here, I I think, is is useless. Generally speaking... If you're watching this show, your problem, your problems are not your problems. They're just symptoms of deeper problems. Because if you're watching this show, you have an IQ above 115. You're a smart person. And if your problem was really your problem, you'd be able to figure it out. But our problems are not our problems. They're just symptoms of deeper problems that we don't want to face up to. So we would rather distract ourselves with going after the symptoms... Rather than the root causes which usually has to do with an inability to connect normally to other people and to yourself and to feel at ease in the universe
2: and that culture from forming because it truly is dangerous to any any polity and like when you look at china um, not to you know stand china or you know be a fan of china in every regard but right. you know china is certainly a, uh, a you know one of the global powers that at least i'm aware of that is made an attempt to you know, curb this. I think
0: they, they put some like regulation on uh... So Richard thinks that this is a powerful point that uh, China is putting regulation on how much time you know people can video game and uh, this is important. this is something we should look at. I, I think this is insane. If you're not talking about other people, if you're not engaged in some you know, forms of gossip, there's, there's something wrong with you. it means that you feel socially alienated. You, that you feel indifferent to other people and that you're not part of a community one of the signs of belonging to a community is that people gossip about you if you want to understand your social environment you know gossip is absolutely essential like gossip helps us to make necessary social comparisons we can't help but compare ourselves to others like you, you need to you need to do that to get information and inspiration and, and guidance all right now you can compare yourself to others to such a degree that it brings you down, that uh, that you feel you know desperate or bereft or small or okay. So you can certainly overdo comparing yourself to others, but we never get get away from comparing ourselves to others. We shouldn't try to you know move beyond comparison. It's just you have to be able to surf the, everything that comes with comparing yourself to others and, and not get caught up in a trough of, of despair from it. We need the information, we need the the inspiration, we need the cues that come from comparing ourselves to others. Like gossip, you know, shepherds our communities, right? Gossip lets us know what the boundaries are and when people are crossing them, right? Gossip lets you know that you've gotten out of step, you need to get back into step, right? If you want to know who to avoid, like who the boss loves or loathes, like who to go to when you need help, what it really takes to get a promotion or a raise, now, how much you can safely slack off at work. Now, you're better off paying attention to the company grapevine than to the employee handbook. This is from an article in Psychology Today. Like, gossip tells you who's in. If you're worthy of being talked about, you're in. If you've got valuable information, you're in. Like, gossip is a Rorschach's test. Like If you look at the nature of what someone gossips about, you can find out what concerns them. So we tend to gossip about people we care about. If you care about someone, you're going to gossip about them. The type of people you don't gossip about are people you don't care about. We don't bother talking about people who don't matter to us.
2: Um, you know, kids can be online or playing video games or something like that. At least it indicates that they have some sort of kind of paternalism and and you know they, they have some care about seeing kids that are young not being kind of. Turned into real life, you know, video game characters. And I think that's a good thing. And we need something
0: like that. Definitely. And. uh... Here, Richard saying, yes, definitely. We need something like China that that restricts how much time young people can spend gaming. Yeah, we need to restrict how much time people spend on the internet. I think that's insane analysis. I,
1: I, I kind of think the free speech debate does
0: need to be more nuanced and by nuance he means there needs to be less free speech that's what he's talking about so when he was rising up he loved free speech when free speech was working for him and now that free speech has turned against richard the past five years now he wants more restrictions on speech I
1: need to at the very least talk more about this but but hopefully write about this but like if you would ask me in 2015 you know, should Twitter be just totally open? And, and Twitter was saying the same thing that I would have said. It's like, this should be the free speech mecca. You know, anything goes effectively outside of something that's just obviously illegal. And, you know, you can't ban it. But I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I do have a more nuanced view of that five years later.
0: Nuance, meaning we need less free speech. Alexander notes, yeah, China restricts gaming, but it doesn't work. Chinese gamers just use VPNs they easily skirt around the restrictions, all right. You know, directly attacking how much time men spend gaming is just attacking a symptom. You need to get to the underlying issue of why these people feel disconnected from others. How to get people connected into a community, and one way you get people connected is through the judicious and moderate use of gossip.
1: And it involves all of the things you were just talking about. Um, it involves because you know, not, and it involves grifting as well. I mean, not only was there QAnon, but there was just. QAnon grifters. I mean, Fuentes was um, a QAnon grifter to a significant extent.
0: I think we, we've long ago reached the point where grifting is, is not a useful concept. So people make content and people donate to support the type of content that they like, and somehow that's called grifting. Like, the only useful term of grifting is when people are running a con. Right when they're promising something that they don't deliver, but just content creators creating content and then people financially supporting content that they like, I don't see any thievery going on. If there's no thievery, there's no grift.
1: Um, he used that language actually. He used "trust the plan" language in the storm, and so did uh, Steve Bannon. You know, so he wouldn't ever quote Q or something, but he would be like, "trust the plan," "the storm's coming," all this kind of stuff. And so it's these people making money off it and it's also just these people entering this just weird rabbit hole that is, yeah, deeply unhealthy. So we're just, we're not dealing with an issue of like, you know, if someone goes up there and says a controversial opinion or he's a whistleblower or he's, you know, making edgy jokes or something, we're not dealing with that anymore. We're, We're dealing with something much more severe and something that also can reach normal people. Like that whole, you know, normie divide
0: Everything can be abused. You can exercise too much. You can use too much water. All right. Yeah. You can you can be online too much. Does this really call for government regulation?
1: Um, you know what is it? Red pill or normie divide? That that's been like flipped on its head. Basically, there's no divide. Like, you know, cute, what, they, this guy like um, this is actually I, I, I got uh, I put this in to Ed's book actually because we we did Ed wrote.
0: There's no divide. Between, say, normies and uh, the political radical. Normies can relate to other people without talking about politics. Like a, a normal person can have appropriate conversations at work without bringing in sex, politics, or religion. Right? I, I think there is a pretty significant divide. If you are continually interjecting content that is maladaptive, Right, it, that it actively works against your own best interests, then then you are outside of the normal and uh, you're in a downward spiral.
1: QAnon article originally, and then we kind of updated it. And I, I, I actually did that. I mean, I'm not writing or anything, but um, there was like a demographic study of people who went to January 6th. And it's remarkable. Like, they are not white supremacists, quote unquote. They are not alt writers. They are not nanosphere people. They are like, normal people in their 40s, basically red voters from blue states, that seemed to be a big, so they were kind of feeling anxious about where they lived. Um, but it was basically red voting totally normal people.
0: A- no, they weren't totally normal people. They were people disconnected from reality. They were gullible, naive people. The people who, who were arrested on January 6 were not normal people. Right? There were people who got disconnected from reality.
1: people four years ago, who went down this rabbit hole and now are in prison. <laughs> I mean, it is really fucking bad. And yes, like I don't, I don't have an answer to this. Um, I have an answer.
0: Why did the people go down the rabbit hole? Right? They they went down a rabbit hole because they got lost touch with reality. They they didn't have. Like, normal level of human connection. Like, if you had a normal level of human connection, you, you would not have rioted on, on January 6th. Uh, people don't go down rabbit holes that they don't want to go down, all right? People are not brought by propaganda or, you know, very clever live streamers into entering a rabbit hole, all right? Y- you only go where you want to go. Kids,
1: which is just, like, keeping them offline in general and kind of because, you know, the parent can control the, the smartphone or the iPad to some degree. So it's like, go and watch a movie with your kids and be like, oh, okay, good. That was fun. Let's talk about it. Or, you know, do you want to play a video game? Okay, that's fun. You know, it's over now. Um, but in terms of, like, middle-aged adults entering the metasphere and becoming brainwashed, um, I, I, I just, yeah, I don't...
0: People don't become brainwashed unless they want to take on what they're learning. So using video games can be a useful part of of your life. There's nothing inherently wrong with playing uh, video games. Why would, say, playing video games three hours a day be worse for you than watching TV three hours a day? Like It seems to me that playing video games three hours a day in all likelihood is far better for you than just passively watching TV three hours a day.
1: Solve this problem. Outside of just extreme methods of, like, shutting down the Internet from... um, 9, I don't know, 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., you let people check their email in the morning, look at Twitter <laughs> to catch up on news, and then it's like, all right, that's it, guys. <laughs>
3: the, the problem was no more internet. The, the QAnon had and leaders also, and thought leaders, and so they have to be removed from the streets, and they have to be silenced, because most, most people just get their thoughts from a speaker. So QAnon would yeah, go yeah. away very quickly if the president, including Trump, just denounced it, and if the thought leaders were rounded up they would go away really
0: fast. If Donald Trump denounced QAnon, QAnon would not have gone away really fast. If the thought leaders denounced QAnon, QAnon would not have gone away really fast. QAnon met a certain need that that many people have to have access to secret knowledge, to to get the magic key to unlock how the world works. Right, uh, Colin Liddell's in the chat. He has a post here, poor Joseph Watson comes out as a total Nazi. So poor Joseph Watson has had a secret recording revealed by an organization called the Byline Times. So, Paul Joseph Watson says he would like Jews to be wiped off the face of the earth. In a recording made during a party and shared with this newspaper, 39-year-old Paul Joseph Watson says, I really think you should press the button to wipe Jews off the face of the earth. He uses a string of racist and homophobic epithets and claims that he is sick of media activist sticking signs up in my face trying to get me to join the gay Palestinian cause. I don't care about Israel and Palestine. I care about white people not... And then he uses the sand N-words. So, Colin notes, for many years, poor Joseph Watson successfully rode and grifted on the wave of white racial discontent. He, did, he avoided deplatforming by constantly dog-whistling and using pronouns. They, them... He generally avoided outright racial smears and references to the Jews. So his more overt comments here are a welcome clarification of his views and an overdue elucidation of his analysis of modern society. So what exactly are poor Joseph Watson's views? He dislikes homosexuality. He's scathing about all non-white races, particularly Arabs, blacks, Pakistanis, and Jews. He views Jews as a separate group, with separate interests. Now, he doesn't appear to blame Jews for most problems in the modern world, but he frequently uses anti-Semitic neo-Nazi tropes and memes. So in 2021, Colin Liddell wrote that uh, Paul Joseph Watson uses his whole video to point out how anti-white TV ads appear to be. And he carefully picks only those that support his agenda and then implies that some sort of centrally controlled social engineering thing is going on. So if he's sure of this, the intellectually honest thing to do is just state what his theory is. But the Nazi dog whistling suggests he is moving in that direction, but he never explicitly says it's the Jews. It's just some entity is somehow doing this social engineering using unpopular Christmas ads for reasons. So the nebulous dog-whistling, fear-mongering, and hate-mongering that poor Joseph Watson has grifted off for years may be a little bit more difficult in the years ahead.
1: He never did. You, you can't... I don't think he ever has. Even now. Has he denounced the Proud Boys? Or denounced QAnon? Or whatever? No. He doesn't denounce supporters. He couldn't bring himself to denounce David Duke. He didn't really denounce the alt-right, even though he kind of sorted it. He kind of flubbed it and said, oh, we denounce the KKK and, you know, racist or whatever. He never really denounces people who are his supporters. And um, I get that. I think maybe that's a good quality to some degree. But, um, yeah. Uh, QAnon could have been ended. I don't know. Maybe it could have. Been. Even if Trump denounced QAnon in late 2020, do you think it would have gone away? Probably not. I thought he would have just said, ah, he's, he's he's playing the game. Don't you see he's now tricking the mainstream. Media.
3: It's like being alive in the late stage realm and asking, oh, look at this Christianity. Can it be ended?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So if you get some secret recording of somebody speaking off the cuff at a, at a party, it doesn't necessarily reflect their, their true worldview. You have to take that recording and then put it into the context of, say, their, their public pronouncement. So in the case of poor Joseph Watson, it does seem to to provide more light of, of his overall worldview. But you know, people can just say things at a party, and it doesn't necessarily provide any more light in, into their worldview. You have to, you have to place everything in, in a context, right? Every everyone has a context. Everyone's in a particular genre. You can't. Actually,
1: Bart Erman, who I, I'm kind of skeptical of Bart Ehrman, but I do think he's a good, uh, a, a good scholar. He, he actually. He's
0: skeptical about Erman, but Ehrman is a highly accomplished New Testament scholar, like, like Richard and myself. You know, we would not have one one hundredth the, the learning of Bart Erman. It just—it seems kind of ridiculous to talk about how you're skeptical of you know this highly accomplished New Testament scholar.
1: The point that kind of stuck with me, he said, even if Constantine had never tolerated Christianity or personally converted, Christianity still would have uh, won.
0: Right, because Constantine was a reflection of a movement that was going on in the Roman Empire in the fourth century. Right? It wasn't Constantine who turned the empire Christian, the empire was turning Christian, and Constantine rode that, that wave. Right? Individuals help to make history, but they are also constrained by the situation. In the end, the situation's the boss.
1: That Constantine was responding to a popular force and was not leading it. And I don't Same think Trump was leading it. It was more like a biomass.
3: It, they, they were already like that before they made the decision to be like that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. But uh, anyway, I, I really don't know what can be done. I mean, obviously, I felt the sting of deplatforming. You know, to a very large degree, and obviously, I disagree with
0: that. Um, maybe I. Yeah, you felt the sting of deplatforming, and you played a major role in it, right? <laughs> the reason that we had a wave of deplatforming was in large response, due to your behavior and your words and your choices, Richard. But he only re- wants to reflect on how he's the victim of something that he got going.
1: Understand it a little bit more now, I think when I look at the whole thing, but. I, I do, I would definitely, I've never really been a free speech absolutist or whatever, but I think I would have said something like, well, you know, it's political debate. You know, you've got to allow it. And, you know, it's kids having fun or whatever. Um, but, you know, if you're.
0: Yeah. Richard loved it when the anonymous trolls were on his side. The last five years, the anonymous trolls of 99% turned against him. Now he's no longer so excited about anonymous trolls.
1: And block them, You know, just deal with it. And I, I do think I've kind of a deeper and more nuanced position on
3: it now, but I don't, I don't think I have really a solution. If you notice, these scriptures and pundits all have the same thing in common is they have this so-called charisma, but it seems so very nomadic. They seem to always put on a type of mask that people want to see. Yep. you know on your Twitter, you criticize... Life.
0: Charisma just means that you transmit energy to other people, that when other people watch you or listen to you or interact with you, that they, they get more of a feeling of, of energy, right? And we get energy from other people when we get on the same a, same page with others and participate in creating a shared reality. So charisma means that you can tune in to other people. So usually it requires some intelligence. You can tune into what other people are wanting, are seeking, and where they're at, and you can connect with that and then create a shared reality with that person. And that's what creates energy and is referred to as charisma,
4: that said,
3: the intelligence looked like it claimed intelligence isn't real. Yeah. <laughs> well, for for the grifters, they aren't. They are imitating uh,
0: leadership. I don't think they are real men. Like, they're imitating it. Well, I think. I- and uh, Hubbley Hoy says, I think Richard can still have reasonably come to this conclusion that experience made him change his views doesn't make it illegitimate. Absolutely. My point is that he should begin with with reflecting, or he should include reflections on how his own role caused the, the deplatforming right? You know, get in touch with how your own selfishness has hurt the lives of other people. That is about the most sobering thing you can do. And and coming from that sober place, right, enmeshed in reality, I think should be the beginning of useful analysis.
1: I I believe to that thread, I said, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I said, I think he's getting at something, but he's overstating his case to such a degree that like, it becomes absurd, you know, but So I I think denying the existence of intelligence is just pretty whacked. But his general point, which is that what you think is like scientific progress or intelligence or hot takes or whatever, are these people like rhythmically and, you know, going through the motions, like, you know, rhythmically reciting some weird meme out there. I think that is definitely true.
0: So how do people get fame and prominence rhythmically reciting memes? Because they're meeting a need, right? People... In today's disconnected world have a huge need for comfort, and so the people who who become successful pundits telling people what they want to hear, they're meeting this human need for comfort. right? Now, there are probably better ways for helping people to meet their needs for comfort. so I'm you know my bias is towards organized religion. I also have a bias towards twelve step programs. I have a bias towards you know good psychotherapy. You know, any kind of good inner work, uh, some productive meditation process, something that connects people to a sense of purpose and meaning in life, right? Those are my biases. And to me, they're they're more productive ways of enabling people to find ease and comfort rather than just, you know, reciting predictable talking points. Um, The thing that they're missing
3: is that they don't have the ability to create an identity of their own. They always seem to be hopping from one identity to another. And they yeah. can't get one, they just steal it, kind of put it together like Frankenstein's monster.
0: Okay. Well, what he's talking about is that pundits often want to get ahead of where they see the crowd going. right? If you're going to sustain a large following, you're very likely to be captured by your following. It's a very rare you know, pundit who is not captured by his following. So pundits, generally speaking, survive by giving people what they want to hear and when they see the direction that the crowd's headed in, they want to get there in front of them so that they can ensure their own continued income and, and fame and prestige. They
3: don't have the ability to create something out of nothing. And they can't have a vision and set goals and set up a command structure and, and organize things.
0: Well, you do have to tune in to where people are at if you're going to be effective in interacting with them, even if you want to lead them in, in a new direction you have to first begin with understanding what is the nature of reality and what is it that people are seeing right now and feeling right now and what's going on with people right now. You have to tune into people where they're at to be effective in trying to prompt them in a new direction. And they can't get their own myth or their own image. It's all
3: stolen and plagiarized, and they just keep recycling it over and over. So that that type of intelligence is memetic because they can't push it forward. They can't push the rock up the hill on their own, and so they're always pretending to do it. So yeah the intelligence that would make a leader successful and not a pundit or a grifter that is totally missing and it doesn't exist right
1: now yeah yes um i i agree i i think there's also just this really perverse incentive um with the internet i, I remember about like a month ago or two months ago i was it was late and i just hopped on the stream or this uh, space that someone was doing on twitter and um it, it was these guys who were like in
0: it's not just an inherent perverse incentive with the internet. There are inherent preserve, perverse incentives with aspects of the internet, communities of the internet, depending on time and place. There are sometimes perverse incentives with a synagogue or with a church or with a, with a yoga studio. Right? It's not the inherent genre of the internet that creates these perverse incentives.
1: NAGA and and all that, like pro trump you know, extremism, whatever. And they, of course, wanted me. They're like, oh, Spencer's an earl's going to want know." And they were all, I, I think, actually, too an anti-Spencer. I, I, I do. I am a uniter and not a divider. I unite groups and hatred of me. Um, <laughs> but uh, I remember this one guy saying he was
0: like... And in. to what extent has your own behavior and your own choose, choice of language been responsible for that, Richard?
1: He had a, he had a funny accent. Right? He was like, well, in the in the you know the realm of HN and the mega you know, dissident rights because everyone's anonymous. Uh, It is a battle of pure ideas and the best ideas will win out in this evolutionary process that we've created. And I remember just thinking like, who is the most famous, the clearly most successful um, Naga 4chan personality? (laughs) Q. Seconds by Weave and Andrew Englin, and whatever. And I'm like, the worst ideas win in your (laughs) sphere. It's like a
0: yeah. that's a good point there richard good point good stuff
1: the evolution right, process where somehow some way the worst thing begins to dominate right-wing thought i, I just I, I was like talking i was like i can't even talk to you
0: if you think that <laughs> up- so yeah sometimes the worst do win out i remember i used to interview a lot of hollywood actresses and actors and celebrities on the red carpet and that that situation of being on the red carpet, it just militated against any kind of depth in an interview. It was very hard to get a good interview while people were on a red carpet. So there are certain situations that that uh, prevent depth, and there are certain situations that are not conducive to goodness or kindness or clarity or truth. All of them are a,
3: a battle over resources, and all religions, all religions have been like a map of the sky, but all of the ideas have in society our battle over resources.
0: Like- and Colin Liddell says, alt-right leaders are like the legendary kings of punt, each one smaller than the previous one. Yeah, like Colin Liddell for, for what, eight, eight years? has had an enviable track record. He's been right on so many things. And has this provided him fame? Has this provided him fortune? Has this provided him great status and prestige? No. Yeah, a guy who's consistently right, a guy who's consistently displayed a profound level of analysis is there is there like external reward for that is there status is there you know hot groupies throwing themselves at colin liddell is you know is the money pouring in no there's no inherent reward for being right While, while people who are consistently wrong you know can can rake rake in the big super chats if they're compelling and entertaining
3: christians were were fighting the strong pagans uh for control over society and and then with the germans in world war ii they wanted living space and so national socialism was created to justify getting living space so the battle over resources always begins before the ideas pop up and in the alt-right the fight over resources is just a popularity contest of just who can get the most followers likes retweets
1: yes yeah. I, I think there's there's another aspect to this that, that i've mentioned that is the uh, the multi-level marketing quality of the right and so in a multi-level marketing scheme like doTERRA um which is basically essential oils and skincare and vitamins and supplements all that kind of stuff um it it, it actually it's not fraudulent i think it's overpriced but not fraudulent um basically you create channels down channels and up channels and so like there's doTERRA the manufacturer and then there's kind of like the top guys who are selling to distributors and they're creating up channels so revenue is flowing up to them and it you you create layer upon layer upon layer to some point that there is like Sally in Nebraska selling doTERRA products to her friends and making like 200 bucks a month doing this. But you have enough Sally's in Nebraska and you're making 2 million a month. And it's, it's like that weird multi-level marketing equality. And so one thing, I mean, if there is one like thread and, and it's not just the worst ideas we went online, but there's one kind of like thread to it. It is that it leads up to the Republican party or Trump or whatever. And so Nick Fuentes, even though he was like, you know, cryptically or ironically denying the Holocaust and being outrageous and being anti and all that stuff. He was still pushing. He still wasn't up channel to someone else. Like, he was still pushing them out. And like, I remember when I was on that space with all these guys, and they were all bragging about Dark Naga or whatever. They're like, oh, this is the greatest meme. I just heard from Bannon, he loves Dark maga. So basically, they're creating like street-level organic propaganda for Donald Trump. That's what they're doing. They're appealing just-
0: to... Isn't it like that in all communities? I don't think. That, uh, that there's anything unique about the multi level marketing to the extent that it exists in, in the distant right. Now, Kenneth Brown often has some interesting analysis, and he just did a show, Liars on the Right, number seven. Nick Fuentes looking in the chat, Luke, do you think insecurity drives people to be involved in antisocial behavior? Yeah. If you're connected with other people, generally speaking, not driven to destroy those connections, right? You have valuable. Know, love with other people generally speaking you're not going to be driven to destroy that so this is a little bit here from
4: political pornography the left used to do this back when
0: we had yeah this is survivors. Kenneth brown it, it makes a great point we the, the alt right is political pornography because it deals with the, you know the, the visceral passions that's why it's so compelling
4: Right wing, like you know, don't blaspheme Jesus and don't be overtly sexual. Like George Carlin used to be a political pornographer in the sense he'd say all the swear words. Well, that's banal, that's mediocre, that's you know old hat. So really, the right wing has uh, somewhat of a monopoly of political pornography. I think that there are still elements of the so-called left, uh, especially the the um, corporate left, people like Vouch. I think engage in a degree, literally. Of mixing like furry porn with their politics and making their politics entirely about their sexual identity or racial victimology, etc., etc. So, you know, it, it, it's not a complete monopoly, but we understand why we're all attracted to this stuff. We understand why it's fascinating. Uh, just because it's fascinating doesn't make it true or good. Um, but there does come a point at which, um, there is something so toxic and so evil and so harmful. I have to say, like, if you're going to be involved in the dissident right, which I've argued against in so many different videos. I've argued against the entire field of thought. I've argued point by point on different things they think they're wrong on. Um, but if you're going to be involved with it, please, please, please don't, <laughs> you know, go so far as to argue with me about Nick Fuentes. And so I'm, I'm responding to HRE, which stands for Holy Roman Empire. He's this little, uh, you know, it's the Holy Roman Empire flag, which is a political entity that hasn't existed for like 200 years. And so he writes this comment. He says, the guy's last political action conference had a 1,000 people attend, including government officials. He's created good, powerful movement. He's been nothing less than dedicated to American nationalist issues. There's no reason to attack him. The guy's clearly not a grifter. So you know, I said, I'm not impressed by crowds. His movement's not good. His movement's not powerful. I'm not an American nationalist. I hold opposing political opinions to you. He is a grifter. Um, I don't know if that comment was sarcastic, but I'm reaching a point at which I'm, I'm, (laughs) I guess I have to laugh or cry because I've put out over 600 videos. Um, that is in a sense, it feels pathetic. It feels pathetic. And I know I can't create this totalizing judgment where one silly YouTube comment makes me feel like my life is a waste. But at some point, if I put... If I put, like, let's say each video is like 20 minutes long. I know people think I do these three-hour-long videos, and I'll never live that down. Yeah. But maybe I'll go back to it, right? But, but let's say they're 20 minutes. Even then, I've made over 200 hours of videos where I consistently say, I'm on the left. I oppose the right. I'm not a nationalist. Here's an argument against.
0: So uh, John Berkshire says, I think it's pathetic to be obsessed with whatever Nick Fuentes did the other day. Who cares? Read a book. Well, Obsessed is usually a cheap put-down, right? If you have any interest in the America First movement, it would be weird if you didn't have some interest in that recent Kino Casino stream where they talked to two to people who worked with Nick Fuentes for years. Like, if you're interested in the alt light and the alt-right, it'd be weird not to be interested in the personalities of people like uh, uh, Nick Fuentes or Richard Spencer or Greg Johnson. Right. It's it's weird not to have an interest in, in other people. All right?
4: nationalism. Here's a political ideology called minoritarianism. Here's, you know, the deep left. Here's explaining what that is. Here's explaining the, the difference between the left and the right. Here's why I'm not a majoritarian. Here's, like, the tripartite class structure. Here's how politics actually works. You know, this is uh, all these concepts, which I think are simple. I'm communicating on third grade level. I'm not using big, supercilious, grotesque, Purple prose and trying to, you know, talk about the mechanisms of the fundamental ontology of the managerial. You know, I, I I try to keep it simple. I try to be direct. I try to be explicit. Um, you know, I think that everything is multi-layered. I think.
0: So you know, what what is healthier, watching network TV or watching Kino Casino? I'm not sure that uh, watching Kino Casino is you know, definitely less healthy than watching network TV people are wired in a way that they need some comfort and some entertainment and some distraction. So if you're playing video games an hour or two a day or you know watching live streams an hour or two a day or you know, watching TV an hour or two a day, uh, it seems part of a balanced diet. You know, I, I don't think that, that that level of interaction is harmful.
4: I think that everything has levels to it. But it's not as if I'm being so deeply ironic and sarcastic that I mean the opposite of what I say. You know, there's always some kind of esoteric parable or, or deeper meaning to everything. I guess. I mean, that, that's just how I think of the structure of language and mythology and, and the way that that works. But it doesn't mean that if I say, you know, I'm against nationalism, i against the uh, dissonant right. Who
0: is Ken? This is Kenneth Brown, A.K.A. Deep Left Jokel.
4: And I'm for minoritarianism and etc. etc. Et you know. I think there are, it seems to me that there's some kind of possibility that people don't believe me. Um, You know, that when I talk about the right wing being a defeated warrior class, like people believe that I'm actually arguing in favor of resurrecting the warrior class. Um, Or or people have those ideas and they have a cognitive dissonance and they're trying to square a circle. People are very confused. So I want to be direct. I want to clear this up. I want to say Nick Fuentes is a federal agent. If you like him, if you promote him. I think you are doing something wrong um, for yourself and also for others.
0: And uh, Ken almost never calls anyone a federal agent, so this is highly unusual for him.
4: I think it's very toxic. I think you know. Again, these are all relative statements. So you know, four years ago, um, you know, you could compare Nick to the broader alt right and say, okay, well, he was—he's better because he is not a pure ethno nationalist. He believes like. You know, Black people are can be allowed to stay in America. They don't have to be mass deported. Um, you know, he, he, he was, I guess, somewhat moderate on certain issues. And if you're a Christian, you could say, okay, well, um, he's not an atheist, he's not a pagan, he's a Christian. Uh, so there, there were different issues where you could say, okay, well, he's actually more moderate than the alt-right, and he's kind of moving the alt-right away from sort of purity spiraling and and, and that's a move toward a, a moderate vision, and so that's positive in some sense because people in the alt-right were just these out-and-out out Hitler fans. But the problem is that Nick Fuentes is, is, I mean, you want to talk about optics, the guy's talking about how he's Hitler, he's an incel, he's going after, he doesn't have any friends. He says, Jaden McNeil's his best friend, and then he says, I'm going to destroy Jaden McNeil's life. So, <laughs> I mean, this is really bad. So, I don't know. I mean, I guess I could get into these other points a little bit more. Maybe you're not convinced that someone who promotes... Um, a Fed op like January 6th and then continues to promote it and continues to promote it. Maybe that's not enough evidence for you. I mean, I'll say this about AFPAC, uh, just to be brutal and clear, um, you know, Richard put on conferences NPI for years and, you know, did they ever reach a thousand people? I'm not sure. You know, I don't know the numbers on that, but I'm pretty sure they had hundreds of people, you know, and did they have, you know, sitting Congress people or sitting members of the government? No, but on the other hand, um, there, there were no disavowals. Like, there were people who went, high-profile people, uh, you know, you could say Jared or Guillaume or, or, you know, you could throw out different names there of high-profile people. Uh, and there was no line. There was no deception. There was no disavowals, whereas, you know, you've got the people who go, like, MTG or Gosar who go to this AFPAC, and then afterwards they're like, no, 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 I disavow. I don't agree with any of that. And the content of what's being said, I mean, it's understandable why they would back away because it's billed as this... America first conservative thing. And then what you end up is getting Putin first, Russia first. Um, Putin is Hitler, but that's cool. Uh, That is the kind of rhetoric that, and that's not how it's built. And so there is a kind of a bait and switch that's going on. Um, I don't think it's sustainable. I don't think, I think the thing is imploding. I think it's a cult. I think, um, you know, we've seen this before. We've seen the rise and the fall of the alt-right. We saw the rise of America first. I think we're seeing the fall of America first, um, the time to jump off this whole train was four years ago, you know, when, when I, I mean, I came up with the term minoritarian five years ago now, um, you know, and that was my response.
0: So I'm not this unalloyed uh, Kenneth Brown fan. I find half of the videos of his that I start listening to absolutely useless, but half of them, there's some high quality analysis. And this latest one on Nick Fuentes there's a lot of strong analysis. So Ken Brown, definitely a deep thinker using the moniker deep left jerkle." That's it. Bye-bye.